Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and I am joined by the founder of the Libertarian Christian Institute, Dr. Norman Horn. Hey, Norman. Hey, Doug. Nice to be here again with you. You happen to be my co-author, along with Carrie and Dick, who we've heard on this podcast as well. And we are going to talk about Chapter 8 of Faith Seeking Freedom. And we've timed this such that if you're listening to it right as it comes out, it's a few weeks or like a week or so. It's a little bit before Independence Day 2021. And we timed it that way because, well, you know, it's every patriot's favorite holiday, I think. I don't know. Maybe Memorial Day ranks up there too. So the big question right now, I guess, on everybody's mind is, are we actually going to be celebrating Independence Day <laughs> with our family, according to according to President can we, Biden? Can we celebrate our freedoms can this I, year? Yeah, can I celebrate my freedoms this year? Uh-huh. Oh, oh yeah. that is going to be the big debate. And I have a hunch that many listeners are going to have family members who are like, what are you talking yes. about? We got together yeah, last screw year. this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that meme. And the, yeah. like... Uh, the governors are like letting people wear masks outside. And it's like, you guys were wearing masks outside this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I drew the line at uh, wearing masks all by myself outside. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that was uh, pretty dumb. Yeah. So anyway, as we, as we look into the 4th of July holiday, I think it's important to have some libertarian perspective, libertarian Christian perspective on the kinds of topics that tend to maybe come up. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, these don't really come up except, you know, when my father prays, he he thanks the Lord for the country or whatever. We don't really talk about nationalism and nation state. So we might have to get creative in how we uh, yeah. how we get our listeners to uh, make their families libertarian by July 5th. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, the so basic- subject of another podcast. <laughs> yes, definitely. Maybe, maybe that should be the one after this one. <laughs> So this series is all about talking about our book, Faith Seeking Freedom, which you can go to faithseekingfreedom.com or you can go to libertarianchristians.com and purchase it there. You can also donate and we will send you a copy depending on the the deal that we have going. And so we want to sort of let this function as kind of an author's commentary, a discussion about a little bit of like behind the scenes of the book or just like what's our motivation for writing this? Why is this an important chapter to talk about? And we talk a little bit about the issues too. Sometimes actually this is sort of like extended commentary where you get a little bit more than we can write in 202 words. So that's kind of where we're going here. And this is probably the closest thing that you will get to who wrote the chapter. (laughs) Now, Norman and I weren't the only people who wrote this chapter, but, you know, this is the closest thing you'll get. So anyway, no one knows who wrote every single question except for the abortion chapter. (laughs) Because we just declare that all over there. Like, yep, that was Gary. Yep. (laughs) So why is this even a chapter, Norman? Do libertarians, don't libertarians know that we don't worship the state? Yeah, well, well, that's true. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that we don't. But in part, we wrote this chapter not just for fellow libertarians, but also for our fellow Christians who, you know, may have asked some similar questions to this and want to ask about some Christian issues that surround kind of the state in which we live. Things like, well, 
issues regarding the military are very often near and dear to many conservatives' hearts. And I think, you know, we, we need to kind of parse out in a way why it is that libertarians in particular don't endow the military with the same type of reverence as, say, the typical conservative does, even though many, in many on many topics, we may converge with conservatives as libertarians mm-hmm. on certain yeah. issues. And that's to be expected. We do the same with some, sometimes even with liberals as well. But this is something where, you know, the differences involved are stark enough that we do need to talk it over and make sure that it's clear what it is that we support and what it is that we don't. And that that's often, you know, at least for conservatives, I would say, and coming, you know, as I am, as as one who grew up as a conservative politically, the issues of the military often some of the the biggest hurdles for conservatives to understand in a new way that helps them to adopt more libertarian attitudes in the first place. You know, from my own point of view and my own personal history, it was in fact the interventionism itself, which was at the forefront of my mind of like, well, if I switch sides (laughs) per se (laughs) and and say, I'm now a libertarian, like I have to understand this deeply. Yeah. That was, I think, a major motivation for us is that it's, it's not merely something that it goes straight up in front of libertarians, but also it's directed to the conservative reader or the one who still has questions about this stuff. You know, a thought that I'm having as you're as you're sort of saying this, and I came from the same background that you did in terms of being conservative as opposed to like progressive and then becoming libertarian. But the thing that comes up for me is that I think that in a way, there are a lot of conservatives who are libertarian leaning. They might say that they're libertarian leaning or mm-hmm. they will be self-declared. Maybe they don't even know the term libertarian, but they'll say you know, that, you know, I'm all about freedom and personal you know, like individual liberty Rand and all Paul that. guy. Yeah. Things. Yeah. You know, we got to stick it to the government. You know, mm-hmm. we get the, you know, get the government's hands off my social security or whatever. Off my guns. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> sorry, I was taking a jab yeah. there. But <laughs> the idea is that we know that conservatives, maybe not politicians, but conservatives who vote, you know, the average person believes in individual liberty. And we obviously do too. We're libertarian. So we have that alignment. And I think the disconnect is that there's this assumption that if you're for individual liberty, that's the essence of being an American. And therefore, if you're for individual liberty, you have to be in love with America. And we can yeah. kind of flesh that out as to what that actually looks like. Because, you know, one, one quote that we have in the book at the top of this chapter is from Ron Paul, that real patriotism is a willingness to challenge the government when it's wrong. And honestly, I think that's so, it's so profound, even though it's like, well, of course that's the case. But how many times do conservatives really want to challenge the government when it's wrong? And how many times do progressives, this is the same way. We don't have this, like if we are, if our people, if you will, when I say that, I mean like if the people I wanted to be elected are in charge, we we tend to just sort of back off and be like, yeah, I don't I don't need to challenge the government, you know, whatever, yep. you know. And it just flip flops back and forth. And as libertarians, we get to enjoy criticizing all the time. Yeah, it's the classic. Well, you know, I can't criticize the big spending Republican because we're in power right now, so we you know we, we have to keep it that way. But the moment that you know you start flipping flipping to the Democrat side like we are now, well, suddenly everybody turns into fiscal conservatives again. Yep, 
Yeah, yeah right. Deficit, now yeah. we're worried about stimulus packages. Well, and, and when like Trump that. was in office, it was the progressives yeah. saying that, look, Trump is, I mean, again, Trump made promises about the deficit that they could rightly say he never delivered on. But he, they were like, oh, look at what Trump's doing to the deficit. Oh, and now what we're doing after Trump <laughs> in the Biden era for now is like... It's justified now, though, Doug. Yeah, don't you know? I know. Don't you know? <laughs> I, don't you know? Yes, I know that that's a load of bologna. <laughs> that's a big stack of fried bologna. All right, that was, that's not even a phrase. All right, so... Um, <laughs> Okay, anyway, the disconnect, the the, yeah, a little bit. The uh, the disconnect here is that we see that conservatives value individual liberty and they value freedom. And this yeah. concept of freedom is probably so important that we need to kind of understand its relationship to something like patriotism, something like nationalism and the nation state and obviously, you know, things like foreign policy. Because there's a, there's a lot of, you know, misconceptions out there about the relationship. So if yeah. you're a patriot, the, the belief, it's okay to believe your government is wrong. Yeah, you know, and the and the, just the belief that inherently, yeah, not, not only that the government can be wrong, but that the apparatuses, especially in particular the military, is like this kind of reverenced with a with a zeal that it, it's the protectorate, like it's the way in which you know that it's embodied in like that phrase you might have seen on a bumper sticker somewhere is like there are two men who have died for your sins or no way to know it's just two there's two men who have died for your for died you. for you that's right yeah. there are two men that died for you jesus died for your sins and the american gi for your liberty or something like that you know and, and that is just so awful when you when you really get right down to it but it does show like the links at which the state will go to try and connect the good things that are the the bounties of liberty and try to essentially say, we are responsible, we being the state. Mm. We are responsible. We gave this to you. Not that it was part of your inalienable rights. Not that it is the gift of God. Not that it is the way in which yeah. the natural world is supposed to be set up and, and is naturally set up in the first place, but that it is the gift of the state. <laughs> and, we're going to uh, save you from the problems we yeah. created two decades yes. ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. I mean, that's Joe Biden to a T, right? I mean, come on. Yeah, no kidding. Like, the man's been the man's been in Congress for fifty years, but only now thinks he can solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. So okay. Well, and obviously, Great. what I'm referring to are things like blowback as well. Yeah. You know, in terms of like with foreign policy and things like that. Sure. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah. You know, with this topic in particular, I, I did write a few of these questions, and for me. I wrote it with a lot of empathy toward people like my dad who yeah. served in Vietnam and is emotionally connected to having served his country. And he is a great man. He's a ardent follower of Jesus. His faith is very strong. He and I disagree on this issue. And, you know, we don't really talk about it in depth, but, you know, we do disagree on the, on the particular issues. But, I have a lot of empathy for people who are willing to die for others in the sense sure. that like my dad was willing to fight for his country in just, I, I realize Vietnam War is like a terrible example of fighting for your freedoms in America. But if there were a war where there needed to be soldiers to fight for our freedoms and it was like no one disagreed that this was a real, you know, legitimate threat, I want someone like my dad to, to exist 
to be willing to die for those who might be vulnerable or for those who he would call his fellow countrymen. So in the sense that we have people willing to do that kind of thing, I think that's an honorable thing. That is not connected to whether or not going to the battlefield in a particular way or at a particular place, the way the government has been doing over the last century, yeah, pretty much, is actually doing the work of keeping us free. And not only that, it it you know gets obviously we can dive into the thing I mentioned earlier, which is like, well, the government is trying to protect us from the people that it helped create, you know, two decades prior, you know, like terrorist organizations. Mm-hmm. So, like, I understand a lot of people have an emotional connection to their relative who has maybe died in service to the government, and I understand that there are a lot of emotions around things like hearing the Star Spangled Banner. I don't really begrudge people their emotional connection to the the people around them. But what we want to try to do in this book and then through, you know, what we communicate as an organization is that there's a clearer way to think about what does it mean to say something like freedom isn't free. No, freedom is very costly. Sometimes it costs you a lot. It doesn't necessarily, and it probably doesn't need to, cost you someone's life. It can. That's not necessarily, you know, like, that's not something that's out of the question. But it takes a lot of grit. It takes a lot of convincing. It takes a lot of sometimes activism to stay free. But it does not mean just that phrase in and of itself. Usually, if I, like I saw it on a bumper sticker this week. That's why it's front of mind for me. But the phrase freedom isn't free was accompanied by other, like, military stickers you know, like the Navy or I forget what it was. The, the Anyway, I can't, the Marines. I couldn't think of the yeah. name. The Marines. And it's like, okay, I know what this person is saying. They're saying that it requires someone to die for me to be free. And in a political sense, not Jesus, freedom, not that. Although other bumper sticker indicated that they believe that as well. So it's not, to me, it's not like, okay, freedom isn't free. Yeah, you're right. It is costly. But the only implication or conclusion to that is not, oh, it's costly in lives of soldiers. Yeah. So it's important to realize then, or to distinguish or parse out or separate these philosophical ideas of freedom, individual liberty as a fundamental facet of of our culture. Those don't come from the state. And so that separating those, the state from that idea is important. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, just because you you know you love individual liberty doesn't mean that you have to then oh well I, that means I have to be a proponent of this government. Mm, yeah. Okay. And then another kind of corresponding point to that, and that it's, it's important to realize is just because we're against the state doesn't mean that we have a a lack of appreciation or a, a lack of love for our fellow men around us who are part of this, all part of the same country or part of, if you will, our homeland. Mm-hmm. And I think this this is a really crucial point too because it's kind of like the kind of criticism you might hear of like, well, you don't, so you don't like it here. You should just move to Somalia or something like that. <laughs> and that's like, that's not the point at all, man. It's not, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you uh, watch anything I say on, Twitter or on uh, Facebook or whatnot at times, you'll know I'm, you know, I'm a native, what I would call a native Texan. And I'm 
rather happy to be a Texan. I may be displaced now and in a foreign land, <laughs> but I'm a Texan at heart. <laughs> and, and kind of the impetus there is that I, I love the land of Texas. I love that culture. I am part of that. I was born there. I grew up there. I've spent the majority of my life there. And that people group, if you will, is like part of me. I love that. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that I'm somehow like, you know, I'm going to be, you know, Governor Abbott's biggest raving fan or that I think that the Texas legislature is, is, is hallowed grounds and so on. Because that's not what Texas is. It is not the capital city. It is not, you know, all, all of these things are not Texas per se. I mean, you kind of get what I'm saying here. Like, yeah. like yeah. that's, but it, it also applies in a sense to being, you know, from the United States of America in and of itself. And likewise, if, you know, for our international listeners here, I know that we have them in Great Britain, in Mexico, in Africa. And I mean, I mean, literally in every continent, we have people that listen. I know this is true. So I hope you have a great love for where, you're, where you come from in this regard. Because there are great people everywhere you go. There's some, that's to, something to be proud of. But that doesn't Except mean Except Washington, we, D.C. I don't uh, know okay, about that. That's true. That's a, that's a swamp and a wasteland <laughs> and should probably, yeah. That Scum and billy. Yeah, yes. No, <laughs> nowhere will you find a greater hive of scum and villainy. Ah, uh, uh, yes. All right. Uh, anyway, but but you get the idea, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is like, okay, you know, in the way you describe loving your fellow Texans, I feel the same way about loving my fellow West Virginians. That's where I grew sure. up. Sure. And yeah. there is a sense in which you have to not love as in like, like every single thing about it, right? Like love doesn't mean you accept everything and just leave it unchanged or whatever. But like, if you truly love your country, you should criticize it. If you truly yeah. love the people around you, if you truly love your spouse, your kids, even your parents, although it's probably a little bit awkward in that sort of relationship, unless you're an adult, it's like you should be critical in, in, a, in a helpful and loving and, and powerful way, right? But yeah. Again, it doesn't mean that you're just the rah-rah person for the governor or whatever, because, and you know, it's funny, like we keep, I think we're kind of saying the same thing over, at least I am. It's like, it should be obvious that rah-rah governor or rah-rah Trump or rah-rah Biden or whatever is not the same as loving your country. It's yeah. not, like, it should go without saying that you can say I love my country by saying I love the people around me because generally speaking, I align with the fundamental values okay, of the people around me. And you can also say that no matter where you live around the world. Except Washington, D.C. Except Washington, D.C. Yeah. <laughs> I know a couple people who live there. Like, I know they are. They're nice people. We have listeners there, too. And they're laughing. Yes, I hope. <laughs> yeah. I know you're there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, love your love your neighbor. And that, that actually, it, you know, that statement is also a way of saying love love the person you despise in its original context. But loving your neighbor means loving the people around you. Yeah. And it means knowing and appreciating them. So, you know, should we be thankful that, you know, we have people around us who we love? Yep, we should. And, you know, with respect to this 4th of July, you know, I have always seen this. I've said this before, I think in other previous 4th of July episodes or you know, episodes leading up to that, is that I sort of feel like, in a way, the 4th of July is kind of like a Thanksgiving for America. 
not a general Thanksgiving. And so it's like my day to be appreciative in the same way that we're supposed to be thankful for our blessings on the day of Thanksgiving. On 4th of July, for me, it's more like, okay, I'm thankful that generally speaking, and not in every aspect, and there's plenty to critique, there's plenty that went wrong, there's plenty that's still going wrong, but in a general sense, be thankful for the idea of a nation where individual liberty is the goal. And be thankful that I live in a free country. And I realize that there are lots of other free countries, okay? This, you know, Canadians, you know, they live in a free country too. Like liberties are, you know, it's a, it's a sliding scale depending on where you are around the world. So we're not the only free country. There is no like, oh, America's freedom. That's what makes us great. Well, other countries have that too. But that doesn't mean that we can't be thankful for it. So for me, that's where I sit and I do think, oh, wow, you know what? All things considered, this is, this is pretty great. And we do live at, in some ways, a pinnacle of human civilization when you have at least the lip service, if not the actuality, of individual freedom being a primary driver of social and political relationships. Yeah, I think I can get behind that. Cool. So what about those? What what about Christians serving the military, Norm? That's a big question. We get a lot. Yeah, you know, and this is a complicated question with probably some pretty complicated answers. And and you know, to be as vague as possible at 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 front, we might say, well, it depends. But I think that the crucial aspect here ultimately is that while it is true that okay, look, if you have an imminent threat and there is a self defense to be actually had. I think we'd, we would feel that participating in such action is like, that's not a necessarily a bad thing. But in general right now, the idea of participating in the military means that you're going to be required to follow orders. You're going to be required potentially to follow orders that, you know, you, uh, you may be committing you know, a, a diff, <laughs> despite the fact that you're supposed to do it, you may be committing some type of moral problem, some type of sin. And I mean, if we are to posit that uh, so many of the interventions that are going on around the world are illicit, unjustified, they're acts of aggression, do you really want to be part of that? And I think that while there are potentially justifiable ways that one could do it, I mean, realistically, you just got to ask yourself, like, is this the best way that I can make use and be productive with the life that the good Lord has given me? And I just have to wonder if almost in any case, at least in the current day and age right now, if the answer to that is just going to be, you know what? It's not. I think there's something better that can be done. We live in, in an incredible age where there is so much amazing progress that has been made in in industry and in science and in services and the ability that we have to do good to one another. Arts, entertainment, education. There's so many things one can do. Is it really the best thing you could do with your life to go and, and be part of that an apparatus of aggression? Mm. And so am I going to po- say that it's never possible? I don't think I can do that. but. I would just severely question it. 
you know, what comes up for me is I'm imagining scenarios where a Christian might justify joining the military and maybe they even align with our problems with America's foreign policy. And forgive us yeah. non-Americans who's li- who are listening, but indulge us a bit to sort of, because that's our experience is, yeah. you know, the American military and what we what it's done around the world over the last 80 to so years. So I can imagine a Christian saying, all right, I kind of align with what's going on here in, in the sense like the libertarian critique is real. But if we don't have people with, you know, a godly conscience or, you know, there's, there's ways to sort of affect change from within, right? And, you know, the military needs people who stand up for the rights of others rather than, you know, just take orders. And, you know, maybe, maybe more Christians can join the military because we can sort of make it so that, you know, it's not as, you know, the illicit sins are not being committed. You know, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, well, no one really justifies it that way. But I'm just like trying to give a sense of like, look, this is more complicated than saying it's an, you know, there are pacifists out there, Christian pacifists out there who will say it's an absolute sin for a Christian to willingly join the military. You know, conscription may be, you know, accepted there because maybe it's their life, whatever, but, you know, maybe their life is threatened if they don't. But we're not saying that. We're, we're saying that there's wiggle room for the choices of individuals to be God-honoring. But, I mean, I would be open to saying that the, the default for a modern America Christian would be not to join the military, and not have a desire to put themselves in that situation. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of where I'm kind of going to come down on. I mean, the idea of being able to, you know, join to reform is kind of like to, to be, you know, crude and unusual uh, <laughs> as punishment for all. Like, no, <laughs> anyway, no, that was a bad pun as as well, which I'm inflicting on everyone too. No, but but it's like, okay, are you, do you? Should we join up with the mafia in order to yeah. you know try to make it so they don't hurt as many people or something, or should we you know you know become an accountant with a with a prostitution ring because we think that's a probably you know a good way to get on in on the inside <laughs> and fix it like seriously it's like i mean I don't think that's a particularly good idea like uh, it doesn't seem like it to me no, it's not so. So, I was trying to be as charitable as I could possibly, yeah. you know, think about. But I think if that that it should be how we at least go about analyzing the scenario, I mean, we have to come yeah. up with all, like these kind of possible alternatives as well yeah. to, to consider whether the logic makes realistic sense. And I don't think it realistically does. Yeah. Well, and I hope in a way that you hear our heart toward people who choose to join yeah. the military, Christians who choose to join the military, or anybody really, we're not you know, saying they're baby killers and they're this and they're, you know, whatever. We're not saying that at all. So you will hear some, you know, pretty radical libertarians and pacifists declare such things. And we're not aligning with that critique. What we're saying is that it is far more complicated and you cannot, cannot start using Bible verses about people who lay down their lives for their friends to say, oh, well, hey, you know what? You could be that kind of person. This is a character virtue yeah. that you should be willing to lay down your life for your friends. And and then if you're a soldier, you're automatically into that realm of character and virtue. And that's you can't do that either because that's just using the Bible to justify doing things that we've already kind of talked about here and believe are ungodly anyway. You know, David Lipscomb, who 
our listeners will know I like this guy quite a bit. It's a Church of Christ preacher in the latter half of the 19th century. In roughly 1866, I believe it was, wrote that if <laughs> if uh, the people of God were to expend their time, treasure, and energies with the same fervor in the form of ministry as they do in the service of civil government and its military adventurism, and he didn't use those exact words, but he means in the, in the service of, of its armies, then we would live in a very different world. And that is a critique I would, I would anybody who would, could be considering to join up with the military, I would at least say like, if you're a Christian and you don't consider that, then what, who, who are you? I mean, you at least, you, like, maybe you'll come to a different conclusion. Okay. But I would find it hard to believe that you could seriously maintain a position that you'll do better good in the world doing that, being a military adventurist, than being in the service of the kingdom of God. I would even go as far as say it, it more than just service of the kingdom of God beyond, and, and I don't know if Lipscomb meant, you know, ministry as in like vocational ministry, the way we think of it. He or, was specifically meaning vocational ministry. Okay, so he was. And yeah. I'm thinking any way in which you can advance the kingdom of God through peaceful means. Sure. And that could be being a successful business owner. Yeah. I agree with that right, too. Right, right, but right. I'm adding to it, yeah. But let's throw it back in, you know, to because this is the classical, you know, evangelical problem of the, of the you know, the, the late 90s when you and I were, you know, coming of age and like, it was always on, on our minds, like, oh man, should I become a minister? You know, like, should mm. I do that instead of maybe go into right. engineering or something godly? like that? Yeah, is that more godly? You know, something like that. I mean, but there is a there is a sense, at least in this particular case, where that question is quite valid. Uh, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's how I am going to answer this question, though. Ultimately, yeah. So as we wrap this up, and you know, of course, we want people to buy the book. But yeah. we wrap Check this it up. I guess we could just say, you know, buy like five copies of the book and just hand them out as Fourth of July gifts. Yeah, Would that just, work. Yeah, save save money on fireworks and buy books instead. <laughs> oh, you will have fireworks after. Oh, you, know, you will have fireworks. It will be conversational oh, yeah. fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> you might get burnt too. <laughs> yeah, just a little. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there is there a way, I mean, do you have any experience having conversations with people over these topics in family gatherings? Maybe it wasn't 4th of July barbecue or anything, but like, you know, what kind of advice can we give, you know, listeners to, uh, and, and I think we're pulling from other parts of the book with respect to the advice we give on how to have the conversations. <laughs> yeah, well, the first thing I would say is, and this this comes from more of a personal experience, I would say, and so I'm talking to, you know, a lot of our audience, I, I you know, sh here's a shocker, you know, folks. Like the, the major, a major demographic of those who listen to this show are like of our demographic, as in Doug and Norman, right? You kind of your your thirties, thirties professional men and women and stuff who are interested in these types of political topics, right? So, okay. So that being said, a high probable version of a conversation that could be had would be like. How do you talk to your parents about this? And I would say that one thing that made a big difference to my parents when I was embarking upon this intellectual journey was letting them know that like, I'm not trying to forsake 
the values that you've taught me. In fact, I'm just trying to be more consistent about it. <laughs> and in other words, appeal to the good things that, that you know from uh, your interlocutors that they believe, and, and if they're your parents in particular, that they taught you. Okay, yeah, all right, mom and dad, you taught me that it was important to hold individual liberty as, a, as an important value and that I should be you know, peaceful in my interactions with people and that the law should be applied equally to all men and women everywhere and so on. Well, you know, this is the theory that actually gets you there. That's not the way that the government, the federal government behaves. That's not the way that the state apparatus behaves. And I can demonstrate to you why. I've got all sorts of data for that. And you say that, you know, we, that we should be av- avoiding aggression against people. We should not try to get into wars and whatnot. But yet, this war that's around us right now is one that, it, when you start looking at the evidence, is clearly wrong. Oh, and, you know, you say that I should not be a fan of politicians because they tend to be, you know, dishonest and, uh, and they don't have people's best interests. At all. Okay, I believe you. Now, I'm going to say that's the same thing that's happening with the conservative side as with the liberal side. And I don't think they have your best interests at heart. And I don't think that they have any interest in doing things like stopping abortion or whatnot, the way that you (gasps) want to see that happen. I know, they have no interest in it. Ah! Preview on your chapter, one of the next future chapters here. (laughs) But like those sorts of things, you know, if you can appeal to those good things that you have been taught, then it becomes an easier conversation because you're you're not in a sense declaring that you've gone astray like you're that you're the values that you once held you now totally eschew but rather you're holding to principles even more strongly than before yeah it's almost like being consistent matters and yeah. if you can uh-huh. live live out that consistency and demonstrate it in conversation the advice that comes to my mind is don't be that guy you know, that guy is the guy who, you know, refuses to, you know, even show up because, oh, we can't celebrate this country because whatever, whatever. You know, be kind to your family. Listen to what they have to say. Let them know that you respect them. And then, you know, you can just say, hey, I respectfully disagree. And it's actually really important to me to stay consistent and to uh, value human life beyond, you know, preborn human life. You know, you can be pro-life uh, in this way as well. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a lot of conservatives hanging out with fellow conservative family members who are critical of the current president. And rightfully so. And rightfully so. But that doesn't mean that, you know, and you can, of that, course, pick fights with them about the previous president who they did the same things um, yeah. in, in many respects, not in all, but in many respects, or who didn't stop the things that, you know, he said he was going to stop or whatever. But be respectful. You know, if you yep. aren't respectful, you're not going to get a hearing. And you're clearly not going to be able to give away four copies of our book because you bought, you know, five copies, one for yourself, one for your f- four friends, because they're going to be like, <laughs> we don't want to read books that you want us to read. Because <laughs> that's what you're going to do after listening to this episode. You're going to go to faithseekingfreedom.com. You're going you're gonna to go on Amazon. You're going to order copies. So you're going to send us a donation, and we're going to give you free copies of the book. Well, free. Ta-da! Yeah, a gift. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. You can't Be- think that we're not going to pitch our book when we're clearly talking about our book. <laughs> and and here's, here's the bonus. If you do that, you can then download the study guide, which you can get for free. I think it's just you give us your, give us your email on the website. You can get the study guide, and you can start having a small group study with your 
neighbors, friends, whoever you barbecue with, you know, you know, safely, of course, you know, because you don't want to give them COVID. <laughs> you can uh, start doing that with the study guide. They, they're all reading our book. You're reading our book, you know, study guide. It's all great. Excellent. <laughs> well, and, and this is, it is a great way to hone your skills in argumentation and in how to answer people when they have, you know, real good questions that come up when, in, when you're ready to start talking about the relationship of faith and liberty, and of course, just libertarian ideas in general. And there are plenty of good resources out there for it, but we want to definitely, you know, hawk our own as being, this is tailor designed for you, the Christian, to gain the best benefit. That's right. Well, in a couple of weeks, you will hear about chapter nine. And in the meantime, of course, we will continue to give you our great Libertarian Christian podcast content. Norm, thanks for joining me to talk about a really important issue. All right. Thanks for having me on, of course. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Thank you.